Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Good Dog Pod. This is Dr. Michael Delgado from Good Dog's Health Standards and Research Team, back again with another episode. Today, I'm very excited to have Rachel Cadell here. Rachel Cadell is currently pursuing her PhD, working with Dr. Margaret Gruen, Dr. April Kedrowitz, and Dr. Duncan LaSalle at North Carolina State University in the College of Veterinary Medicine. Rachel completed her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology with a minor in Human-Animal Interactions at The Ohio State University, and she earned her Master's of Science in Animal Science from Texas A&M University. Her thesis project examined the impact of environmental enrichment on feedlot cattle behavior, productivity, and physiology. I invited Rachel here today to discuss her current research at NC State, which is investigating whether there are breed differences in dog sensitivity to pain, as well as the perception and education related to pain awareness in veterinary medicine. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us here today at the Good Dog Pod. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm a big fan of podcasts and I've got to listen to some episodes of the Good Dog Pod. So I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about your research. But before we dive into your research, I'd love to hear, because I know you did your master's degree looking at feedlot cattle. What led to you deciding to pursue a PhD studying dogs? Like why dogs? I mean, why not dogs? But like, do you have dogs? Were you always a dog lover or was there another kind of more academic reason? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy mixture of both. So I actually grew up in kind of rural Ohio doing a lot of 4-H. And I started with dogs because I already had dogs at home. And so I started with training my own dog, doing obedience and got really into it. Started doing agility and taking even more like individualized projects. So I started training service dogs and then trained my own dogs to do therapy dog work. So I got very involved and my mom got very involved as a result. Nice. And so she was also really interested in dog behavior. She was a court reporter by trade while I grew up, but when she retired, she actually started doing like behavior modification and helping rehabilitate dogs. So dogs have always been a really big passion in our family. And I eventually took some other projects, got more into the livestock side as well. And when I started at Ohio State University, really there was a focus on farm animal welfare and behavior. And those were kind of the labs that I got into. And since I also had that prior experience with livestock, it fit really well. But when I came to NC State, I had the opportunity to work with dogs and to work with Dr. Gruen. We'll talk more about her 2020 paper, I'm sure. But that's what really sparked my interest in kind of switching over to the companion animal side and getting more involved in veterinary medicine because there were just such interesting questions to answer. And having the background that I do with dogs, it fit really nicely. And of course, I have dogs of my own as well. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Very good. Yeah. So I think it was a good move, both for companion animals and for you, it sounds like. So I was introduced to you through your advisor, Dr. Margaret Gruen, who's very well-respected scientist, and she authored a 2020 paper that was about dogs. So just a little background, like I was researching like who I wanted to invite on to talk about pain because September is Pain Awareness Month. And I found her paper, which was about dogs, but it's really about human perceptions of dogs, namely whether or not people think that there are differences between dog breeds and how they experience pain, which is 
wow, I hadn't even really considered that people might think there would be differences in like some dogs would be more sensitive to pain than others. And I know you were not an author of that paper, but I know that you're also kind of continuing the thread of that research. So I'd love to give our audience just a quick overview. So I know it was a survey of members of the general public and also veterinarians of where basically they rated different dog breeds based on how sensitive to pain they thought they were. And over 90% of the members of the general public and veterinarians surveyed said that they believe there were breed-specific differences in pain sensitivity. And the general public's pain sensitivity rating were related to the dog size and also breed-specific legislation, which I thought was really interesting, whereas the veterinarians had more distinct pain sensitivity ratings based on breed. So can you unpack this study a little bit and like, why do you think people have these perceptions in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a really human thing to have different perceptions. And what we're seeing here with the general public and the veterinarians is that these perceptions may be different based on their background, their experiences with animals. As you can imagine, veterinarians probably have quite different experiences with dogs. Yeah, They're often seeing dogs at maybe their quote unquote worst. So when they're fearful or in pain and I think that that can explain maybe some of the differences that we're seeing in the general public and the veterinarians. But as to why humans are having these different perceptions in the first place, I think it goes to stereotypes or what we explain as commonly held beliefs. So the understanding that stereotypes are something that our brains use to just cognitively perceive the world. We all use stereotypes or what we call schemas just to sort different things in our head and they help us make cognitive shortcuts when we have an overwhelming amount of information come in. Where stereotypes can go bad, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, is when they don't hold up to be true. So that's when they're no longer useful shortcuts for our brains. That's when they can cause harm. So what really Dr. Gruen's first initial paper found out is that there is some understanding that the general public has, and then really the veterinarians have that say, okay, if this dog looks this certain way, that makes me think of this breed, then their pain sensitivity is this. And that's just fascinating. It is fascinating. I can imagine that, yeah, if you think one breed of dog is naturally just very stoic, then well, I guess, like, what do you think some of the repercussions might be of like an owner or a veterinarian thinking a dog is more or less sensitive to pain? Yeah. And that's a really good point. So one thing that we don't know yet from any of our studies that we do is what individuals are rating as breed sensitivity. So it's possible that they're rating breed sensitivity as the physiological response of pain. So how we experience pain, but it's also possible that they're rating what they consider to be the breed's behavioral reactivity or their perception of their behavior. So that's something that we are kind of aiming to answer in our subsequent studies, but consequences is huge. So that's the whole reason that I'm interested in doing all of these studies is we don't know what the consequences of these widely held beliefs are what they could be and what we can kind of look to is human medicine because there's substantial literature in human medicine regarding stereotypes in pain sensitivity ratings. And what we've seen is that both the general public and healthcare workers will rate different individuals and their pain sensitivity differently based on their group status. So they kind of use these stereotypes to justify beliefs that different individuals experience pain differently 
based on their human identities, such as race, socioeconomic status, gender. And what we've seen in the human literature is that when these different perceptions occur, First, what's happening is that individuals are having a hard time perceiving other individuals in pain. So when it comes to our dog owners, it could mean that having these held stereotypes is harming them, like being able to identify that their dog is in pain. Or on the other side, they may be over-identifying that their dog is in pain when they're Rushing really to the not vet. in pain. <laughs> yeah. Rushing to the vet when they don't need to. And then with our veterinarians and why my research kind of goes more on the veterinary track is it's so huge because veterinarians are directly responsible for the treatment of pain. So they have to recognize pain in the veterinary hospital when a lot of other things are going on for that animal, and then also be able to treat that pain. And what we've seen in human medicine is having these differences in pain sensitivity ratings of different humans leads to inequities in treatment. Yeah. I mean, we can't ask our dogs, how much does it hurt? So we have to infer a lot. So it would be bad if someone's starting from a place like, oh, he's fine because he's a big dog or something. Exactly. When maybe they're displaying their pain differently right. is a possible explanation for that. So maybe, for instance, in our survey, we saw that golden retrievers were rated as having low pain sensitivity by the veterinarian. Interesting. But perhaps golden retrievers aren't displaying their pain in the same way that the veterinarians are identifying it. So that would be interesting as well. Yeah. I mean, you think about like some of the smaller breed dogs that kind of, you know, they have a reputation for being kind of yippy is what you always hear. You know, it's like, so that may be perceived as pain, but like you said, is it just they're more reactive in some ways vocally or something? So it's really interesting. So this kind of the backdrop, right? This research looking at do veterinarians and members of the general public perceive breed differences? And the answer is yes, they do. But then you come along at NC State and how did this research, you know, where did you take it? Where are you taking it right now? Yeah. So the next steps for this research were threefold. So first we wanted to evaluate, are these pain differences that the veterinarians are picking up on? Are they real? Do they have a physiological basis? Currently, we don't know that. So that was what that study aimed to answer is, is there a physiological basis or is there a behavioral basis for the veterinarian's ratings? And then our next project was a continuation of Dr. Gruen's survey study where we looked into different populations. We once again took that survey and applied it to the general public, but then we also went to eight different veterinary institutions and collected survey data from veterinary students from across all four years of their education track, and then veterinary faculty and staff. And so we were looking there to see if we could see when these breed-specific veterinarian beliefs develop. When do they kind of shift from that of the general public to that of a veterinarian. And then our last project was really fascinating as well. And we looked into, it's called a qualitative study, but what I did was I did observations for six weeks and I went into the clinical environment in C State's veterinary hospital. And I observed fourth years communicating about dog breeds and pain and looked into how they were learning and communicating these breed stereotypes. 
Okay, well, you've definitely got me interested now. I want to hear all about what happened. But one thing is that you were actually like looking at pain responses in actual dogs, right? Like not just a survey, but observing dogs. And you picked 10 dog breeds. Can you explain like what breeds you chose and why? Yes. Okay. So that is our big clinical study. It was a year long study and we selected 10 breeds based on three different criteria. So first we were looking into breeds that the veterinarians rated differently than the general public. Then we wanted breeds that fell into three different categories for the veterinarians ratings. So breeds that the veterinarians thought were highly sensitive, average sensitivity, and then low sensitivity. Okay. And then we also just wanted to account for breed size because that was such a driver of the general public. And so we kind of balanced that throughout our groups as best as we could. Okay. And how do you measure a dog's response to pain? Like, I know everybody has to get their research approved. Like you can't torture dogs. So like, (laughs) and you're working in a clinic. So (laughs) how do you do that in a way that people are going to agree? Yes, you can test my dog's response to pain. Yes, absolutely. That's a huge part of doing animal welfare and behavior work and any kind of animal science work is being ethical, but we particularly want to pay attention to the dog's experience because we want them to not only give us this data that is so imperative for us answering these questions, but we also want them to have a good experience while they're with us. We want to take care of everyone's fur babies just like they're our own. And that's really what I tell all my owners that volunteered for this study. But what we do for the pain sensitivity test is actually something called quantitative sensory testing or what we refer to as QST. And they do this to humans as well to evaluate pain sensitivity. But what happens is we have two different devices that apply pressure. So we apply a little bit of pressure to the dog's forearm. And then as soon as they pull away, it's done. So we like to say the dog is always in charge. And then we also have that for the heat probe. And what's a little bit different about that one is that it's set to a temperature of 49 degrees Celsius. And then as soon as the dog pulls away, it's done. And we're either measuring the grams of pressure or the latency for the dog to pull away. But in each of those, we have safety cutoffs. So the dogs can't go over certain grams of pressure. They can't be super tough. You know, the stoic dogs you referred to earlier, they can't like just fully surpass us. And the same with the heat. They can't be on more than 20 seconds. Were there dogs that maxed out? There was one or two dogs that maxed out. And those dogs were just... Super tough, but they usually, if they max out on one, they don't max out on all of them because these different sensory tests are testing different types of pain receptors. Right, right. So we have mechanoreceptors that respond to heat and some that respond to pressure. So they could be different for each, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when we're analyzing the data, we might also look at the different types or look at some combination. Definitely have to work with my stats guy on that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so you mentioned when the dog pulled away, that that was kind of the end point. Were you looking at any other aspects of their behavior? Like if they vocalized or anything? Yes, absolutely. So we'll look at like their overarching behavior as well. So if they looked back at it and that was their indicator, Mm -hmm. there is a degree of 
that I have to kind of interpret their behavior. And early on, I kind of can decide what their endpoint is. So there's some dogs that very slowly pull away and then some dogs that are pull away so fast. Other dogs that just looking at it is kind of their indicator that they're done and that's okay. And we remove it. Also, any dog that comes in and doesn't want to do it, they don't have to do it. They're still going to go home with their free dog toy and (laughs) their doggy report card and have a great day at the university. All the dogs, before they come in for this kind of testing, we give them like 10 minutes or maybe even longer to just play with us as researchers just get to kind of know us and get used to us in the space. And usually by then they're ready to go and love their belly rubs. But if they don't, they don't have to. And that's a huge part of our research is we only want dogs to be doing things that they want to do. That's great. Volunteers helping science. That's the way to do it. You are listening to The Good Dog Pod. I'm here with Rachel Cadell. We'll be right back. Make sure to visit the Good Dog merch store, which has tote bags, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. We hope you can proudly wear this merch not only in support of Good Dog, but in support of dog breeders everywhere, because together we're stronger. Plus, Good Dog Pod listeners get 15% off. Visit shop.gooddog.com today and use the code GDP15. And we're back. Today, we're talking to Rachel Cadell from NC State University, where she is doing research looking at breed differences in response to pain and also human perceptions of those differences between breeds. One thing when I was reading about your research is that you were looking at whether or not pain responses were related to a dog being optimistic or pessimistic. Can you explain to our listeners how you determine whether a dog is optimistic or pessimistic? Oh, yes. This is my favorite part. And this is always the owner's favorite part of the whole study. So each day, the dogs would come in, they do their sensory testing in the morning, we do a little bit of a break, and then we go to the cognitive room. And this is what I kind of call the puppy playroom. It's a fun time all the time. So it has lots of treats, lots of toys, and nothing bad or negative will ever happen. No exams happen there. No thermometers go anywhere. (laughs) And so during this time, the dog gets to really relax. And then once we get started, what happens is it's myself and a handler. And the handler is holding the dog back behind a line kind of across the room from me. And then what I'm doing is I'm either putting a treat in a dog dish on the right side of the room, or I'm putting no treat on the left side of the room. And eventually through a lot of different trials, the dog learns there's always going to be a treat on the right side and there's never going to be a treat on the left side. And then once we can say that the dog has learned this, which means that they're going faster to the right side because they know there's a treat and they're kind of ignoring the left side or they're going a lot slower when they go to the left side because some dogs are always going to just go check. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Never hurts to check, right? <laughs> just Exactly. That's an optimistic dog, I bet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Once we can verify that the dog has learned the two different conditions, then we'll do another round of the two conditions that they know, the right side having the treat, the left side not having the treat. And then we'll do a middle condition or what we call the ambiguous condition. This is a location the dog's never seen a bowl in before. And then we'll see how fast they go to that bowl. And some go way faster than they've ever went to a bowl. And some go a lot slower. And what really determines if they're an optimist or a pessimist is kind of an equation that we do with all of their different latencies of times. But as you can imagine, those that go pretty quickly to that ambiguous condition tend to be an optimist. And those that take their time or never approach it are just 
you know, they don't think that there's going to be a treat and they're not going to waste their steps. <laughs> okay. That's really cool. So I guess, you know, one question. So we talked a lot about the questions you're asking in your research. So do you know yet if there are breed differences in cane perception or where are you at as far as like bringing your results into the world? Uh, this is a PhD student's like least favorite <laughs> question. I know. <laughs> so right now I'm analyzing a ton of data and I'm writing out my dissertation. So for those that haven't done a PhD or don't know much about the process, what kind of happens is all these projects we've been talking about today create this body of work that's hopefully supposed to further the field that I'm in. So further what we know about dogs, pain perceptions, and people's perceptions about the dog's pain. And essentially, so I'm writing all of that up right now, and then I will defend it in late December, and then hopefully we'll get those publications out around summertime. So summer 2023 would kind of be our goal. So no hints on whether or not there are (laughs) differences. I can give you a little sneak peek. So with our thermal QST, we did see that there were differences in dog breeds between those that, how long it took them to remove their paw. Hmm. But what was interesting about that was that they didn't align with what the veterinarians predicted. Oh, so interesting. although there's differences, they don't quite match up to what the veterinarians are rating the pain perception. So for instance, our border collie was rated by veterinarians to be really like average pain sensitivity, but they actually of the 10 breeds were the quickest to remove their paw oh. from that heat source. So that's that part of it. We tested some of the behavioral tests as well. So one test that I didn't talk about yet was our stranger test. And so we do what we call these emotional reactivity tests at the end of the day, just because they can bring up different emotions in the dogs. And so they're really quick, short tests. This one is a 30 second long test where the dog walks out of a room and they encounter a stranger in the hallway and the stranger has a big hoodie on with their hood up Mm. and they're kind of disgruntled talking about a football game that their favorite team lost. (laughs) And so the dog comes out of the room and then what we do is we video record that encounter and we code the dog's behavior and decide their scores for an initial reaction to the stranger and then their approach for. And so what we're finding so far and what I'll be presenting actually next week at the International Society for Applied Ethologists is that we did see that dog breeds differed in their approach score to the stranger. So after the stranger is done talking about their football game, we asked the dog to say hello to the stranger. And we see the dog breeds that were more reluctant or avoidant totally wouldn't approach the stranger really did partially align with the veterinarians reporting. So three of the four breeds that veterinarians rated as highly sensitive to pain, the Siberian Husky, the Maltese, and the Chihuahua, a great proportion of their breed wouldn't approach the stranger. So that might suggest that some of the veterinarians beliefs have to do with like willingness to approach a stranger. And Mm -hmm. the reason we kind of did that encounter was to measure an aspect of fear and anxiety that dogs have that are related to the veterinary environment, but is not painful. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't know if it's pain that's driving those responses that make the veterinarians think those things, right? It could yeah. just be something else. That's really interesting. Okay, great. So we'll know more next year, but I <laughs> appreciate the sneak peek. Were there any breed differences in optimism? 
Oh, we haven't looked at that yet. Okay. I can't tell you. <laughs> Everyone will want to know which breed is the most optimistic. I'll come back in a year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so are you still recruiting dogs for the research in your lab? So our clinical study answering that question is completed, Okay. but we still have running recruitment all the time for our okay. lab. So it's actually our lab website, which is comparativebehavioralresearch.wordpress.ncsu.edu, which I can okay. just send you the link if you want to post yeah. it maybe in the comments. <laughs> we'll drop it in the show notes for sure. So people don't have to write that down. Perfect. Um, we'll it's very it. long. Yeah. I wrote it down okay. this morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, we're always recruiting dogs of different breeds, ages. You don't have to be purebred. Not all of our studies require that can be mixed okay. breeds. And so, yeah, we have different fun studies going on all the time. My Excellent. colleague does a lot of stuff with sniffing tests and different things like that, but all of the tests always receive lots of good boys and good girls and lots <laughs> of treats and a toy to take home. <laughs> Perfect. I wish I could get that for being in a study. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like you are completing your PhD research as we speak. You're going to be finishing and next time we talk to you you'll be a doctor which is very exciting so congrats on this really cool work is there anything else you want people to know about your research or what they should look out for anything they can think about with their own dogs I think with your own dog I would just say really pay attention to their specific behaviors so we know a lot from other behavioral research that there's a lot of evidence that suggests that dogs are more like other breeds than they are their own breed. Mm -hmm. So dogs are individuals. So just remember that when you're thinking about your dog's behavior and kind of look to what those individual behaviors are that makes your dog unique. Because as long as you can recognize your dog's normal behavior, it'll make you a better advocate for their health because then you can recognize the abnormal. Perfect. Okay, I'd like to end on kind of a silly question, but if you could be any breed of dog and, you know, keeping in mind what you've learned during your research, maybe, what breed would you choose? Oh my gosh. So I've thought the most about this question (laughs) 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 because it's so hard because of what I just said, that they're all individuals, but I have an individual dog in mind that I'd love to be like, and it's actually from our study. So this is kind of my goal. And then I'll tell you the dog that I'm actually like, (laughs) but the (laughs) dog that I'd love to be like is Miss Eve. She was a golden retriever that came in for our study. And she is just the epitome of calm, cool, and collected. Like she enters the room and she's just this calming presence, you know, loves her belly, loves, loves her treats. But, you know, she's there for a good time and (laughs) I would love to be that relaxed. Maybe that's vacation version of me, (laughs) but I'm really more like my late dog Java. He was a miniature Australian Shepherd, which now the American Kennel Club would say is an American Shepherd. But he was a little more sensitive, not pain sensitive, but more sensitive to humans' emotions, Mm. but really willing to please, really eager, really fun to be around. But he had his quirks and his anxieties. And as a grad student, I relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that too as a former grad student. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being here and sharing your research. Hopefully we can have you back in the future when you have more results, because it was really cool to learn about what you're doing. And I can't wait to see the publications that come out of your work. So congrats on everything you're doing. And thanks for being here on the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. 